Welcome to Slayer Fest 98. I'm Ian Martin. I'm Gabe Gonzalez. I'm Nicholas Walker. And I'm Ian Carlos Crawford, and we're here to talk Angel Season 2's Epiphany. But before we get into the episode, I'm going to give everyone my little spiel on our Patreon. Uh, all the money goes in to help keep this podcast going. We have Zoom calls, we have watch-alongs, we have bonus audio episodes where we're covering Batman the Animated Series and X-Men the Animated Series. We have Watch Club episodes that I'm trying to make mostly all videos. We have Watch Along Club, which I'm trying to make all videos as well. And yeah, a bunch of like bonus content. If you Our lowest tier is $1, which gets you access to our private Facebook group and our Discord server, uh, where everyone's always has a new discussion. Sometimes I'm not even, I'll miss it and I'll have like 20 notifications after like not checking for an hour. It's a lot of fun. Um, and uh, yeah, the top tier is $30 and you can add in your own uh, closing statements for episodes occasionally if you're at that tier. But uh, yeah, any and all support is much appreciated. And uh, we'll get into the episode. Gabe, what did you think rewatching this episode? Amazing. Uh, well, it's interesting because I last joined you on Reunion, and this felt like it was sort of finally closure on a few yeah. threads they were really stretching throughout this season. <laughs> I remember I was looking at this, um, and this is episode... 16 of yeah. the season i believe yeah. uh and it was just wild looking at that on paper being like wow remember when seasons of shows got like 16 episodes this is uh, absolutely unheard of unprecedented um it's interesting i had some like mixed feelings on the tonal shifts in the episode um but it is sort of like a return to stasis uh, with like a refreshed pov that i think is probably good moving forward um I've had ep Darla episodes I liked better, and we'll get into that. But it was a, a fun rewatch, uh, if a little creepy at times. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nick? I, uh, this is an episode that uh, has stayed with me for a long time because the, the demons with the third eye have yeah. creeped me the hell out ever since I was a kid. Yeah. Um, <laughs> just, I don't know, there's something really gross about it. But um, while it's not my favorite episode of the season, I love there's some really good callbacks uh to, to earlier episodes of even buffy um that i really really like i like a lot of the interactions between angel and wesley and everybody else um but yeah this was it does advance the plot but i would say this one at least to me feels a little bit more fillery i guess but it's a solid episode for sure Ian, we're going to be the, like, <laughs> the two. <laughs> Tell us, give me your thoughts that I know I agree with. <laughs> uh, I love this episode. I, <laughs> I think that um, the story structure between Reprise and this is incredibly unusual. Um, we recorded Reprise together. The the willingness to let an anticlimax be so thematically relevant to the story. And this one has a return to sort of a case of the week kind of feel, which dovetails into um, Angel's shift in perspective about his life and his philosophy and what he's supposed to be doing. And the, I said in um, our conversation, they, it's tough to avoid yeah. repeating yourself from reprise to this one because they are uh, two parts of the same whole. Um, but I said in reprise that, you know, when I was watching Buffy, I was very aware that there was something that I was watching something that had a perspective about philosophy and the world. And um, there were themes going on here that I, I, I 
wanted to understand. And this specifically the courtyard scene at the end of this episode is the scene that just gave me access to all of it. I mean, it's the key that unlocks, I think, the idea, the deeper ideas behind both shows, which, you know, um, aren't what make them great, but are definitely frosting on a wonderful cake. So I love this episode. Yeah, I I mean, I said this in reprise, but it really feels like a good season finale to me. Like this could have been if this yeah. were the season finale of this season and we had gotten a full complete season, I would feel gratified. I like that we get more. We get like our, you know, we meander a little bit. We get disharmony, which is so fun because harmony. Then we get Lindsay leaving and then we get the Pylea arc, which does feel like its own little season. But yeah, I just love this episode. And I I like that it's everything coming together. And that's I'm always a fan of that. But so, you know, uh, Ian and I and Nick last yesterday discussed uh, reprise. It kind of leaves us on a cliffhanger of Angel and Darla fucking and it's storming outside. And that's where we pick up. <laughs> Here. The other well, the other thing that's banana. Before we get into it, the other thing that's bananas to think about um, is that when this originally aired, there there were two hours of television back to back that were the body and this. Oh shit! And, uh, <laughs> that is, I mean, uh, there there are, there are questions of dissonance dissonance that I think are very relevant uh, even between this episode and the last one. But that's a pretty good night of television. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, that's all I, all I wanted to point out. Um, I didn't even think about those being together, but whew. Um, yeah. So we open and I just, I love the whole twist on surprise and innocence here that we're doing. Nick and I were just talking about uh, trivia because Horror Hour has been doing um, horror trivia. And I was telling Zach that Nick... Would is maybe the only person I'd be a hundred percent confident that would school me in Buffy and Angel trivia, uh, because like sometimes you say stuff about Angel, I'm like, have I even watched this show? Um, <laughs> so I am curious what you think about the like parallels between this and Surprise and Innocence, like this, just this, like you know them fucking and them waking up the next day. The parallels, like, does it work for you? Does it feel too much? It it does work for me. I do very much so enjoy the scene. I uh, I never quite understood whether it was supposed to be the powers that be that caused him to have his whole freak out when he gets out of the bed mm-hmm. and is like in physical pain like he was in surprise. Um, I always thought that was weird because he's not losing his soul. So I get that it was just supposed to be a callback. Um, but I was always a little bit confused on that. But in general... I love this scene. My favorite part of this scene, which is sad and tragic, but it is when Darla realizes that he did not, in fact, lose his soul. And then she repeats the same line that Buffy said to him. Was it not good? Yeah. Um, And there's just... Darla is such a strong character. And, I mean, it's very, very similar to Buffy when she says it. And it's sort of like... I don't know. It makes them not weaker in like a, a negative way. It just almost makes her feel more human. I don't know. I just, I love that. Uh, I I love that. He, he's like, yeah, you know, uh, they add in a couple bits of humor in there when they're going back and forth about the fact that they had sex. And he's like, yeah, you came three times. <laughs> and it's like <laughs> supposed to be this serious scene, but there's, I mean, that kind of is the whole episode though. It's a, you know, it's, it's a rather serious episode and they occasionally, pop in a few jokes, which I appreciate because it helps relieve the tension a little bit. But um, 
yeah, I love this. I love, uh, you know, I, I believe we were on, I was on the episode earlier in the season, I forget the name of it, um, where Darla is talking about Buffy. And, yeah, uh, you yeah. know, just as, you know, she was just new. And in this episode, Darla becomes Buffy. Yeah. Yes. That's, that's true. And like, I, 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 there was a lot of discussion of that on like Slayerfest social media when I like posted about it and people were like, oh, he's like, you know, really, she's really telling. And I do love how much she drags Angel about Buffy because like, even in Buffy season one, she's like, oh, you into school girls now? Like, she's always dragging him for that. But I had a lot of people saying like, oh, see, even Darla thinks he didn't love Buffy. See, like he didn't really. And I'm like, no, he did. Like, it could be, you cannot like it. I fully understand not liking it, but like he did. And this kind of proves like, yeah, Darla, especially now he isn't in love with. I always took it. So Ian and I did discuss this last episode. I take him having the freak out as the example I use is just the other night. I like went to bed Thursday night, shot up in bed and was like, oh my God, it's Saturday. I forgot to do this, this, and this that I needed to do Friday. And now it's Saturday and it's too late. I forgot to email my <laughs> students. And I was like, wait, tomorrow's Friday. Okay, wait, I'm good. And like, was fine. And I feel like sometimes you have a physical reaction without thinking because you're just so stressed. And that's right. what I feel like this was. It was like, he was like, oh my God, I just did the thing that's going to make me lose my soul. Fuck, 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 fuck. Oh, wait, I'm actually okay. All right, well, <laughs> that's like how I took it. Gabe, what do you think? I'm curious what you think. Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, not at all. I um, I will say another line that Darla said that was very memorable. We certainly never heard from Buffy was, I've done this professionally. That was yes. perfect. That was a, a comedic beat I appreciated. I will say I um, I enjoyed Darla the least when she is around Angel for, I think, a lot of the reasons Nick pinpointed. I understand that it's, you know, it says something about her character that she is at her most vulnerable and sometimes, like, willing to beg around Angel but it's almost like watching your like very powerful, beautiful best friend obsess over a guy that's not worth it. Like I'm just like, why? Like stop! It's not that big a deal. Like there's so God, many drag guys. me and all my like best lady friends. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I was like, just go be a lesbian with your like grandma daughter and like let's make it work. Like <laughs> I just grandma daughter. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the right relation at this point, right? Yeah. 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 So, you know, sort of watching her in that, like, lowest moment being kind of pathetic, uh, and then, you know, eventually having to go back to the apartment with Lindsay, I was just like, oh, my God, like, they brought you back for this? Like, come on. <laughs> so there is this, like, kind of young and the restless, maybe, like, very special episode of 90210 post-sex moment where it's like, but I gave you my everything. Like, we're not getting married. Uh, it's it's interesting, but, like, you know, it's it provides a, a nice a bit of closure and a bit of a fake-out from the episode before. So, like, it's nice to see that that scene and the impact of that carryover. Um, but, yeah, goddamn, Darla. Um, I just, yeah, I wish she had more time to, like, wreck stuff and eat people this episode. That would have been lovely. <laughs> uh, you know, I... The thing that Julie Benz does really well is making you feel bad for Darla. Mm -hmm. Like, she, we just watched her murder so many people this season, but I still felt bad for her. And I think it's, like, what you just said, Gabe. I think what you just said is wife, because, like, she is a strong character. When she's not with Angel, she is, you know, girl boss, gatekeeping, gaslighting. She's doing <laughs> it all and doing it well. And then when it comes to Angel, she just can never get a break. And it like you feel bad for this like powerful, smart, like confident character who then is like 
turned into what it wasn't good like it's just like man <laughs> i want i want her to kick his fucking ass and like mm-hmm. there also is something about like even though she's evil it's like she fucked him thinking something it meant something different than he thought like to him it was just fucking to her it was like oh this is it we're like falling back into our pattern he's coming back to me he's gonna lose his soul because i'm gonna make him so happy i know what i'm doing i know i'm good in bed and it's like nope no to all that nope you fucked up like none of that happened that you thought was gonna happen um and like i do feel bad (laughs) she even like when she's like and i and he says yeah three times like yeah i was like wait seriously though i mean like i know people are fawning over angel but like come on girl please Please. (laughs) honestly though i I, it's one of the weird magic tricks of these two shows is the ability to um elicit our empathy for horrible people Mm. uh the, yeah. the one that always comes to mind for me is Spike at the end of Fool for Love. You yeah. know, he's yeah. just, the whole episode is about him murdering slayers and how we got his jacket uh, by taking it off the Nikki's corpse. And then when Buffy throws money at him on the ground and says, you're beneath me. And he's, Spike has that moment of like starting to cry. I want to hug him. I thought, yeah, it, it, it's okay. It's nope. really, they're really good at pulling uh, feelings for dark characters. Yeah. I mean, especially the fact that he shows up at the end with a shotgun ready to <laughs> yeah. blow her head off. And moments <laughs> later, you're like, oh, look at him patting her on the back. That's so sweet. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's like. I think that's like the because lots of times I do get labeled as a Slayer Fest is labeled as a podcast that hates Spike. It's just that I I differentiate. It's like I do feel bad for him, but also I acknowledge he's a fucking murderer and he yeah. attempted to rape Buffy. Like, and I feel like both can be true because it's not real, right? Like, yes, we can we can see the depth of this like murderer and feel bad for him, but like it's not real. It's a vampire. They're a made up demon. Um, but also that's why I understand why people do have trouble forgiving Angel and or Spike. Like, I understand people who don't ever feel bad for them because of what they've done. I am just not some, I end up feeling bad for both of them. I end up feeling bad for Darla. I felt bad for Drusilla in fucking reunion when Darla wouldn't stop like whooping her ass all across like Santa Monica Boulevard. (laughs) I don't know. That was hot, but. (laughs) (laughs) And like Drusilla has never been good. (laughs) One of my favorite um, episodes in season five is that kind of touches on the idea is, uh, what is it called? Damage or monster? The the one with the damage. Damage, yeah. And yeah. the conversation between Spike at the end of and Angel at the end of the episode, where um, Spike says she's a, mon- a monster now, and Angel says she's an innocent victim, and Spike says so were we once upon a time. I think that's a wonderful way of kind of getting at the heart of a lot of this, which is that you know the power of storytelling is empathy for or people that we wouldn't necessarily have in our lives or, or have the opportunity to meet or, you know, it's the opportunity to experience stories other than our own. But um, yeah, these shows are really good at that. And I I find it interesting. Well, something I really loved about uh, Buffy angel and even the X-Files sort of growing up is the way the supernatural is sort of an allegory for like our own world and lived experiences in a very different context, right? And our world has this like gray space that we need to confront and inhabit constantly. 
And so I think, you know, being able to sort of see these social parallels in these monsters is really fascinating to me because I think it lets you approach familiar situations from a vastly different perspective. And so I think, you know, one thing this show and and Buffy does really well, and, you know, some of the other like supernatural sci-fi shows of the era is finding that sort of moral complexity and like letting you relate or finding ways to let the audience in to sort of like emotionally resonate with these characters, even though they're like weird demons with like green faces or, you know what I mean? It's just like, it, I think that is the the power of, of the sort of like emotional thrust behind some of these um, arcs. And I think this season does a really good job of like letting that resonate a bit more and like leaning into the darker parts of Angel's story Season two feels significantly darker than season one in some ways. And I think I really appreciate them leaning into that for sure. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I I mean, I just in general think season two is stronger um, than season one. But yes, I think it definitely does those things way better. Yeah, I, uh, and I also keep going back to like the the difference in her and Buffy is what I, I do really like here is that we're we're doing a parallel, but we're not making it one for one. She does say the line. But Buffy would have never said, I know I'm good at this. What are you talking about? We're going to fuck again. Like Buffy would never say that. And I like that Darla does. (laughs) (laughs) Like, it just makes me, I'm like, I like this. Like that is, I like Gabe. I feel like this is a woman we would get drunk with at a gay bar. And like, maybe we do drugs in the bathroom with her. (laughs) And she'd be like, tell us about her shitty ex-boyfriend and how good she was at fucking him. But he's still like, was a piece of shit. <laughs> She's been around for hundreds of years. She's like not, there's no time for filtering things and like brooding for a few episodes before you speak your feelings. She's like, we've been through this. Come on. <laughs> I am an adult. <laughs> yeah. You know what the funny thing is? Uh, I, I feel like the fandom is often more willing to attack the human characters on the show than they are yeah. willing to attack the supernatural characters on the show. <laughs> yeah. You yes. know, like yeah. Angel Spike, li- uh, Drusilla, Darla, literal murderers, rapists, uh, just the worst of the worst. And the amount of vitriol I've heard yeah. thrown at Xander throughout Ooh. the, uh, uh, in doing <laughs> this, which, Hey, I'm not a Xander defender by any stretch of the imagination. Certainly I, I, I probably, some of my own, uh, teenage stupidity uh, I feel reflected back to me in that character and <laughs> and, and that that to me makes me dislike him even more um, and yet it's crazy to me the imbalance of uh, rage and, and it's probably uh, what you were saying about the the fantasy aspect of it you know Xander yeah. feels pro- maybe a little too real and grounded and um, these supernatural characters feel like dragons you know, uh, that have a, that have a sense of humor. So, well, Ian, it's funny that you should say that because I, I got like a, a little bit of booze and like gasps at Buffering's live show. And I was like, I defend every character of Buffy, even the ones that I do think are bad. (laughs) Like I, I will, I, there is a world in which I could defend. I don't bother defending Xander because he doesn't need it, but I do agree with what you said. I do think like, well, he didn't murder a bunch of people on purpose. <laughs> Justin wants more feeling by accident, but he never like actively was murdering people. He did not attempt to rape Buffy. He did not try to kill everyone, but yet he is the one. Like, if I say peep about Spike on social media, oh boy, there are like 85 people saying like, how dare you? He is the only person that <laughs> Buffy. He's the only person that ever treated her right. And I'm like, I don't know about that. 
Yeah, it's, just, it's always interesting to see who the person goes to bat for and who they attack. Yeah. And I, I feel like, <laughs> I feel like there's a, there's like a, a weird personality test that exists based <laughs> on uh, who, who you equivocate for and who you go after uh, in the Buffy verse. But uh, I'm, 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 I don't have that figured out. <laughs> See, for me, it's does the character have a soul or not? I always flash back to the season two episode of Buffy, um, which she specifically says somebody with a soul did this. Yeah, and like, like Darla and Spike and, you know, Drusilla, especially like they don't have souls. Well, Spike eventually, but like they don't have souls. So I can, in a way slightly excuse it but where i turn on the other characters around them like like even in this episode with angel saying the next time i see you, i'm gonna have to kill you i'm like why are you letting her go she's evil you know she's gonna go out there and she's gonna start murdering everybody and it's the same thing in season five when buffy just lets drusilla walk away yeah they have plot I'm like, armor uh yeah, right. i'm like it's because they're cool characters so they just right. allow them to do whatever yeah. they want but. yeah that that gets more and more egregious as it goes on but in terms of talking about um sort of where things cross a line for uh, people versus where they don't. I really struggle with this opening scene. It's probably my least favorite scene in the episode, specifically because Angel was so gross and assaulty in the last, uh, in the scene at the end of uh, Epiphany, throwing Darla through a plate glass window. Um, you know, it's Darla, you're hurting me. I like that too. Yada, yada, yada. But then for that to shift from that sexual assaulty vibe, uh, that the end of that episode was going for to this, where it's sort of glib and humorous and all of that, it's a little too jarring. And I typically watch these episodes back to back because the cliffhanger in the previous one, you you know, you just want to keep going and you want to get to that courtyard scene. Um, and it doesn't, I, I could have used a little bit more of a transition or something. Give me a little more melodrama, a little more regret, a little more whatever, before we start getting into orgasm jokes. (laughs) Uh, That is, that is a fair, like fair complaint. I verbalize it as like, it just makes me feel bad for Darla, who is a character that we've watched go on a murder spree, but I do feel bad for her. So I, I do see what you're saying. It's like, yeah. And the, the, this season specifically posed what Darla was doing to Angel as sexual assault by way of Bethany. I think it was, uh, I can't remember her, the character's name, but the, um, the Christine, uh, oh, char- yes. character, the telekinetic girl, yeah. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. telekinetic character. That parallel was supposed to um, be a way of acknowledging that, you know, a tra- uh, two pretty people and attractive though they may be, what Darla was doing to Angel was sexual assault, and that connected those two characters because he couldn't give consent, and so that connected Angel and. Um, the telekinetic girl as sort of mirrors and parallels to each other over the course of that story. And so then to kind of turn around and to pull the, the violent attack thing in this one and to not, not really address it, you know, I love this season. I love this plot arc, but there are some dropped threads and there are some thing. It, it feels like not what was originally intended when the season started, but they got to yeah. something that I really love and appreciate. So it works out for me. It's just, I think there's certain things to acknowledge. Yeah. I mean, I think that's fair. Um, but yeah, it is. 
it, it's not great that it's like, oh, the way I realize I want to be good is by fucking my evil ex and then telling her to fucking peace out because I don't care. Right. Not to put a dark spin on everything. Again, no, no, no. I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but no, and it's like, he says it was perfect, perfect despair. Um, and then he tells her to leave. Next time he sees her, he'll kill her. And then he goes to save Kate, which, like, realistically, Kate probably would have been dead, right? I mean, she looked dead. Yeah, like, he had time to, like, walk into the hotel, mosey about, listen to a voice message, go fuck his ex-girlfriend, argue with her, and then leave and go. And it's like, ooh, I realized she would have been dead. But he goes to save Kate. And the thing that I always love is I don't pay attention to the fact that he's not invited in. Um, it's a great detail. I was curious if like that is a detail that like bothers any of the rest of you. Like it like makes you be like, Oh, she was invited. How the fuck did he get in? Or cause like, I, I think in my brain, I just, am like, Oh, he probably was invited in at some point. I thought that was supposed to be the powers that did that. Yeah. It, it is addressed yeah. later. That's what I mean. Like for me, I didn't even notice that that was what that was until like Kate verbalizes it. And she's like, I never invited you in, but like watching it, hmm. are you like, wait a minute, how do you get in without being invited? Like, or is it like, oh, yep, the powers of be let him go in to save her. I guess I just assumed he'd been invited in because we have a similar moment with Cordelia in season two, I think, where he enters her apartment yeah. and then they're, you know, everyone's like, well, he was invited in in season one, if you remember. And I'm like, well, yeah. I didn't, but um, I'm just <laughs> assuming that this, it was sort of the same case here. But the fact that it sort of becomes a plot point and an intentional choice is is sort of interesting. But yeah, I just wrote it off as like, oh, she obviously yeah. he must have been there at some point before. At some point. Yeah. My, my headcanon was that her heart had stopped and that he Ooh. had re- he revived her, you know, Um me i think that was as i was originally watching it i i just assumed that the suicide her attempt she was temporarily gone and he brought her back but um well if the tenant dies then i guess he'd have to ask the landlord for permission to enter it would have been so <laughs> roundabout truly <laughs> well, yeah, yeah when her yeah. father uh, the when her father died the second uh the his soul left his body uh angel oh, busted into the apartment and killed the two business owning of the building i really like the idea of like the claws being like well now it goes back to the landlord and he's got to be like excuse me can you let me into this apartment (laughs) just say i'm invited (laughs) in that's all you have yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah and he he saves kate he brings her into the shower to like revive her um the weird thing that this always i i feel like i must have watched these around the same time or Maybe they did air at the same time. I meant to look it up, but I forgot. And this is going to be a very gay reference that maybe Gabe will get. Um, what this always makes me think of is in Will and Grace, when like Grace has gone through her like breakup with her husband or fiance, Harry Connick Jr., whatever the hell oh, he was. Yeah. And like she's having like basically like a like break full breakdown, and they like the group brings her into the shower, like together. And like that's what kind of like gets her kind of back up on her feet. And I don't know why, but that's what I always think of when I see this. I'm like, oh yeah, like the time Will did that with Grace. That's what this is. <laughs> um, but then we cut to her like, okay. And she's like, thanks, leave. <laughs> Which watching this again, it was a little bit, I don't know. There, I'm curious what Rude. you guys saw. <laughs> yeah, because like, Rude as shit. It's like weird that she's just like, peace, get the fuck out. Yeah, I'm good. 
And then at the end, there's like, I wish there was, I don't know, it's like good as a frame story, but I wish there was like the same way in Multiverse of Madness. I wish we had like a scene of her turning and being like, wait, what's, and like before she's like full on quote unquote hysterical mom, I wish we had gotten like gotten there. And I wish there would have been like, it doesn't feel like Kate had a turning point, right? Because we don't get her again until the end. Well, you didn't even need right. a line. Uh, she could say, now get out. And then at the end of the episode, after the case of the week stuff has resolved and Angel is wandering around the Hyperion by himself again, Kate appears at the door and they look at each other and don't say anything. And then cut to the next scene in the courtyard you know, so it could have been sort of a verbal, unspoken sort of thing. She gives him a look. But yeah, yeah, it does feel like there's some sort of, all right, I'm ready to talk. That's missing from yes. uh, the story. I, I think you're right. I do, I do appreciate that, like, to me, it's pretty clear that, like, not only is, is Angel as a character sort of treated Kate disposably and, and like, utilized her when needed, um, despite, like, a lot of the buildup that we got in season one, I feel like the plot has as well. So there's sort of, like, there's a part of me that sort of enjoys Kate being like, get the fuck out. I'm so tired of this. Like, you know what I mean? Like I'm tired for her right now. And so I, I kind of, you know, I mean, I think it establishes this really like weird angsty love triangle of rejection where it's like Darla wants Angel and he doesn't want her. And he like maybe kind of wants Kate, but she doesn't want him because she's over his bullshit that I kind of, I, I just liked that there was a blonde woman in Angel's life that's willing to tell him to get the fuck out and doesn't care. <laughs> And so for me, it was a, it was a kind of a nice moment, but I, I feel like I needed one more beat with Kate, even if it wasn't her, like looking back and being like, Oh wait, I do want to talk just something like another point in, in her journey to like, I don't know, dive into her rage or like her despair, like wherever she's at. I just feel like we never really get Kate's full, like kind of arc this season. It feels so piecemeal and disjointed that I was like, Oh God, girl, you know what? I hope he does get out of your apartment and never comes back. I'm so sorry. <laughs> like he doesn't bring a lot of chaos into her fucking life. Her dad is dead, babe. Like, come <laughs> on. And then we barely touched on it. The episode after I'm ugh, the disrespect, <laughs> the Kate disrespect. I never thought I'd be a Stan for a white cop, but here we are. <laughs> and I'm glad she left the force. I'm happy for her. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I and you know, Ian and I talked about this in Reprise. I this is the most I've ever liked her. Like, I do think the conversation they have at the end. I'm like, I do wish this is a character we had gotten. Like, and like you said, Gabe, I do appreciate that she is the only blonde woman in the Buffyverse. That's like, yeah, get out. I'm not. Don't touch me. Like <laughs> that she isn't just like drooling to have him in her house. But yeah, I think. Ian, I think you're right. If there just was one scene of her being like looking at him and being like, we need to talk, that that would have been like a little bit of more of a transition. Um, Nick, what do you think? I mean, I'm not the biggest Kate fan, yeah. um, but I do I believe that you agree. Said that he, good. This is the episode where Kate leaves when I asked you. Exactly. <laughs> like, and this is no, it's no fault to the actress. I right. think she was presented in the first season as like a quote unquote type of Buffy replacement. Yeah. And then they decided we don't like that. And then they just didn't know what to do with her. Yeah. So every single time that she shows up, she's being a pain in the ass and she's being rude. So it makes it hard to like her. Even though she reminds me a lot of Connor. Like I understand where she's coming from, but that doesn't right. mean that I enjoy it when she's on screen. 
Um, so I have empathy for her and her situation. I do think that there needed to be some sort of connecting scene between her telling him to get out and then the courtyard scene. But I will give her credit. The courtyard scene yeah. is my favorite scene with her in the entire series. Yes. I just want to highlight, too, you said something that always drives me crazy. The, uh, the uh, uh, That I'm I'm really grateful you said out loud. The uh, You can have empathy for a character without finding them entertaining and fun to watch. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that's something that comes up whenever I've talked about Connor in fan forums or groups is how dare you look at his life, the poor kid, yada, yada. I'm like, no, I get it. He's just not fun. He's not, he's not a fun character. I don't enjoy having him on screen and being a part (laughs) of the story. Um, And I think uh, in terms of Kate, I think she definitely just was a character both designed as an echo of Buffy and that fit well into the episodic case of the week detective agency show that they were making. And then somewhere along the way, I'm not sure what happened, but the writers said, oh, we're, we're better at the arc stuff. And Kate not being in the Hyperion all the time uh, made her a tougher fit for that format. Yeah, I, I could buy that. And I mean, <laughs> Gabe, now I'm just hearing you scream in my head, girl, her dad died. I'm like, <laughs> God, am I an asshole? Because I'm like, I think it all went wrong once her dad died. Then they didn't know what to write for her. But like. Yes, it does make sense that she would hate him. <laughs> well, I think Ian, Ian also brings up a really good point, which is like, for me as a writer, uh, when I'm looking at a character, I'm looking at it on two levels, right? Like one, I'm I, as a, I'm looking at it as a viewer, right? Accepting this character as a, a fully flushed person in the universe of this world. But when I critique characters, especially looking at episodes, I'm looking at it as a writer, right? So if, like, if I'm like, I fucking hate Kate, it's, it doesn't mean I hate that person. I hate what the writers have done with this character, kind of, if that makes any sense. Like, yeah. I think there's two ways you can appreciate and dislike characters. One, the way they've been, like, utilized by writers, and two, like, their own personal arc and personality traits, right? And I think people have a hard time parsing that apart. Um, and sometimes you don't have to right? as a fan of a show, you want to just like immerse yourself in the fantasy and be like, this is a person and I'm going to, you know, assess them as a person. But like, we don't have like weird little writers living in like tiny apartments in LA being like, Oh, we don't have time for like Gabe's third beat this episode. Let's like, you know what I mean? So it's like, there's a level of artifice to this that I think I, I always take into account, which is why I never look at characters too personally. I'm just like, their arc sucked. They suck. Cause like, I wish the writers had done something different with them. And that is how I feel about Kate all the time. I, th- I think having the Buffy echo is, as we've called it was a questionable choice in the first season that tied angel too much to what it was spinning off of, but maybe they needed. And, um, echo what nick said i'm glad kate's gone because i think in the universe of that world that character deserves better but um in the universe of of like the writing um that character was an absolute mess and i'm so glad the character is gone it just there was (laughs) we really uh, it should have been her instead i wish her dad had survived (laughs) nick in uh, our discussion of reprise drew an interesting comparison that I think I I'm not informed enough about the process to understand why one works and one doesn't. Yeah. Uh, Nick compared Kate and Christine from season uh, three and four that Holtz recruits. And the original intention was that that character was supposed to be Kate. Yeah. Except that uh, Elizabeth Rome uh, moved on to Law and Order, and so they brought someone else. But they're essentially the same characters. They they have a, a rigid moral code. They're 
beaten down by the world and Christine kind of works and Kate does not. And the, there's a point at which there's a difference between um, understanding why a character is the way they are and becoming engrossed in their plight and their story and their uh their struggle and whatever the mistakes are they make with kate i think i understand and with christine i become more engrossed and i'm not sure what the secret sauce is for one versus the other because you know all of the the valuable events are sort of the 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 necessary ingredients for that recipe are in both of them it's just one cooks up and the other one didn't so wait I was like, wait, who is it? Justine? Her name is Justine, Justine. not Christine. Sorry, yeah. Justine, a Holtz's right hand character. I, I hate that character. I like truly hate that character and think she's like. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> but well, I mean, then then any other example, you know? Uh, yeah. A person lost doing wrong, for lack of a uh, of a better description. Why, in some some circumstances, it it becomes engrossing, and why it's just like, oh God, Kate, just get off screen, like. Yeah. Yeah. Enough about the, yes. I realize vampires killed your daddy. It's not Angel. Please. I like I like the idea of all of us being Cordelia from Buffy season two when she was bad. Like, <laughs> get over it, girl. Get over your Joan Collins tood. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> get over your dad being murdered. Um, Thank your inner Moppet. <laughs> but I'm actually glad that wasn't Kate that came back because I feel like that would have just made her a messier character. And this is like. Because Connor, I also can't stand. Anytime someone's like, Dawn's the worst character, I'm like, have you watched Angel? Because Connor is a zillion times worse than Dawn. Um, and Connor is like one of the only characters in all of the Buffyverse. Meh, well, maybe Justine and Kate, but they're not in it enough for me to like, you know, Kate's gone forever after this. Justine's in like five episodes. Connor is like, in season four, he almost was like, they like I felt like they were circling the drain of like what to do with him and they just kept making him worse but I do like him in season five I like the character rehabilitation they do for him I wouldn't have minded something like that for Kate if they had her instead of Justine I would have needed her to come back for one or two episodes to get like okay she's cool now like we're good I was I was momentarily distracted by the thought of Wes taking away Kate's bucket <laughs> God, that would have been so grim. <laughs> Fuck, uh, I love season three, but I'm I don't love that whole plot that much. Yeah, <laughs> um, but you know what I mean. Like, I do think they do a good job with Connor in season five when he gets his one episode, and then he does come back to help Angel fight, and it's like, okay, good. That that is as much as I needed of Connor to come back, and the perfect like, good. Now he's not really fucking annoying. So like, if the show had gone on more. We could have had him breeze in and out occasionally, and it wouldn't have been annoying, right? I figured we were we were going to go a little bit long on the the Kate discussion since this is her last episode. But the struggle I have with the Connor fix in season five is I don't think that's the same character. Mm. They brainwipe Connor and oh, yeah. create, create essentially a new character. So for me, that's not a fix so much as just a a retcon. They didn't take the character they created and give him catharsis and complete the journey that he was dealing with or any of that. They wiped him. And, and that's the thing I, I always struggle with as a defensive Connor with season five is it's, it's one actor playing two different characters more than anything else for me. Well, I mean, I, 
I can see that. I guess for me, I'm like, well, but it's the same actor and he looks the same. So we know he was mind wiped. So he's like open to be a different person. But I do like understand like it's whether that lands or not. And like it doesn't. Yeah, so I, yeah. but I totally understand why it wouldn't. I, w- I wish it worked for me. It just doesn't. And I mean, well, I mean, we'll get to Kate again because we've talked a lot about her, but she still has her end scene. Um, then we get the, for me, which is the weakest part is the Darla and Lindsay stuff. This, <sighs> the problem is, I, it never landed for me. Uh, Nick, speak on it. I heard your groan. <laughs> I mentally check out every single time there is a Darla and uh, Lindsay scene. Lindsay, as soon as he became obsessed with Darla and was pining over her, it became very uninteresting to me as a character. For me, the way that I uh, read it sometimes is it it, do- it doesn't even <laughs> come across like he's actually into Darla specifically. Yeah. I just he just always seems like he has a big boner for Angel. Yeah, oh, of course. And he's just yeah. constantly trying to be the center of Angel's attention. I mean, which you know makes sense given the finale and what he says it was supposed to be Angel, yeah. everything like that. But um, I wish they would have leaned a little bit more into that because I feel like that's supposed to be the subtext and I yeah. would have preferred it to be the text Yes, <laughs> <agreed>. <laughs> because it's just like, I, I have no interest because Darla doesn't even give a shit about Lindsay. So she's just constantly like, even in this scene, she's just sort of like rambling and talking to herself almost yeah. like Lindsay's not even in the room with her. Yeah. And that's, how I feel <laughs> whenever he's on screen with her. Just like, I don't care. Like, let's just get to the next scene. See, and it's funny because I read some quote from Christian Kane where he was like, oh yeah, Darla was the love of Lindsay's life. And I'm like, what show were you watching? Like, no. <laughs> right? <laughs> no. Because like, it couldn't be any more apparent that he just wants to fuck Angel. Like, he tells her, tell me every detail. Then when he's beating up Angel, he's like, tell me every detail and it's because he wants to be the one like on angel's hog and that's what he's mad about not he's mad about this blonde woman that's living in his apartment fucked angel he's mad that he didn't fuck angel like you know i'm never i'm not a fan of like the the bully being closeted but i don't even know that that fully applies here right because he just it's obvious it's not I think he kind of wants to fuck angel and also wants to be angel it's that like classic like gay nemesis thing where you're like do i hate you because i want to fuck you or be you and sometimes the answer is both and that's when you become yes. boyfriend twins but <laughs> but i do that subtext is so it's it's so queerly coded to me in a very like abercrombie mask gay kind yeah. of way that yeah. drives me crazy but yeah it's the the darla Lindsay thing i'm just like really this is really <laughs> oh god and then some of the scenes don't even have dialogue and like Lin- I, god bless that actor but Lindsay's emotional depth as a character is not enough to carry a, a one minute silent scene of looking through a closet for me i'm so it sorry is not- it's just not enough <laughs> i i watched that scene and was like wait what did i miss and then i was like oh nothing they said nothing okay right, like, what is he looking for what's your intention like tell me with your eyes something <laughs> oh man sorry not to not to rag on actors during the strike i it's not his fault <laughs> It's not his fault. <laughs> I, I do love, though, that he was so mad he had to go put on his boots. 
Yes. The boots, the boots. <laughs> like, uh oh, here comes country Lindsay. That's how angry he oh is. Oh my god, yeah. This, this, he's gonna he's gotta go country. He had to put on his cute mask outfit to go beat up his boyfriend. He's gonna go listen to Casey Musgraves before he beats him up, yeah. And that actually being all Christian Kane's clothing. Yes. And a replica of the truck that he drove to LA in, I think is a is a pretty wonderful detail. I, those details are so weird, Ian. Like I didn't know that. Till I was like reading trivia for the podcast. I'm like, that's weird that he used so much of his own stuff for Lindsay. Like no one else was doing that. Yeah, things are about so, to get real. He's putting his cowboy boots on. <laughs> okay. Also when he went into that closet, I really was like, Oh, what's he getting out of there? Like I was like, Oh, well it's not just the boots. Clearly he's like getting out a weapon and no, it was just his boots and like his cowboy. He was trying to find yeah. himself. Ian. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also I didn't eat, Ian, we discussed this at length in reprise. What the, when was there a fucking ring? Wasn't it a gauntlet? Well, that was the questy nonsense that I think the reprise is actually satirizing. Yeah. The head guy uses a ring to travel between the home office and our realm. And Angel needed the gauntlet in order to be able to imbued with the power in order to kill the demon. But again, it's all nonsense. That episode is specifically designed to kind of highlight like quests and war and uh, all of this stuff that Angel has been pursuing. The, uh, The pursuit of winning is impossible. Uh, thematically and literally in the story because evil's in every a single one of us. And that leads to, um, in, the, in the greater scheme, in the big picture, nothing we do matters. There's no big win- plan, no big win um, mm. at the end of the, the episode. But it's all just they were playing on tropey bullshit that we're familiar with to get the thing, to get the thing, to get the thing, and then cast it into the fires of Mordor. <laughs> fair yes uh, a literal ring i mean i think it is very uh lord of the rings that they were playing around with that's fair yeah um so then we get we cut to caritas angels buzzing lauren's doorbell oh <laughs> i love Gabe. this scene i literally when lauren sits down he's like if you're gonna go back to brooding we'd rather have you evil at yes. least you wore leather pants or something like that i <laughs> i was like this is the audience speaking or at least this is me speaking through this gay coded demon I was like, please, please just like shake some sense into him. Cause I felt the same way. I was like, if we're just going to go back to brooding baby, you got to give me something more. Um, but I think it's, a, it's a nice little like drop in, in the, the like puddle of, of resets that's happening in this episode. I think Lauren is like a really fun voice to be like, look, if you're just going to go back to what this was before, like let's call it quits. Cause like that's so boring and we can't stand it. Like save me the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. What is it? Lawrence Lauren gets to say the unsaid thing. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's one of his his roles as Oracle. He gets to say the thing that no one acknowledges. It's really wonderful. Yeah, and I and we discussed this before in the previous episode too. Ian, I like that Angel, even at his brattiest, at his broodiest, at his what am I gonna I'm so blah. He still respects like you know, just previous episode, he was so fucking disrespectful to Cordelia and Wes when he like storms in the office and takes the books, but he always is respectful. Like, it's like Lorne is like, everyone respects him. And I appreciate, I appreciate that. He is this like, as Gabe said, queer coded demon in his like fantastic outfits who like lays down the law and like, no one dares be like, Hey, fuck you. Like even angel who's being shitty to everyone across these two episodes is like, can you please help me, sir? Like, 
Yeah, and, and it's not that. just that he needs him. Like he needs yeah. Merle, but he doesn't. He treats right. Merle like shit. Um, right. uh, there is a, a dignity and respect that he pays to Lauren that he doesn't mm-hmm. anyone else. Although Lauren's arc throughout the show is really fascinating, and that Lauren, the peaceful musical, the the one who is genuinely peaceful and uh, to both good and evil is is corrupted by Angel by the end of the show. I think is really interesting commentary. Agreed. Yeah, I just, I like this conversation. I like, you know, I I also like that Lorne, even though he's neutral, is still going to like be a little sassy with Angel. I mean, Gabe, you mentioned like, he's like, please, God, if you're going to do this, go back to being evil because you wear leather pants and you look cute. Like, yeah. Lorne is not pulling punches with this. Like, he'll pull punches with like the future reading, but with this, he's not. And I like that he's like, when he first sees him, he's like, geez, keep your pants on. And then he looks at him and he's like, well, I see we're a little late with that advice because he knows Angel fucked Darla. Mm. I also like that his powers are very like, sometimes you need to sing, sometimes you don't. (laughs) Yeah, his powers make no sense. (laughs) I like to think that he just made up the singing part to make people sing. Like, I really think it, I think he's just, he's gaslighting. Yeah, I like that. It's great. Um, and then he like is, you know, tells him, you know, you fired your team. So the powers that be, you know, you lost your connection to them because you fired fucking Cordelia, who has all the visions. And then we cut to Cordelia and she's arrived at the house. And who does she encounter, Nick? Uh, well, a dead family for one. <laughs> and then those nasty ass demons with the third eye, the ski lash demons, I believe they were called. Yes. Disgusting. Absolutely disgusting. Ugh. Which I spell differently in my notes every time I wrote Steel Ash Demon. <laughs> I do love the their outfits, though. The whole, whatever that is, the shoulder pad <laughs> warrior thing. Something about it every time. I'm like, eh, I kind of like the outfit. But yeah, they're weird and gross. <laughs> uh, and I do, um, Nick, I was curious what you thought. Because I do think with like this plot, they do kind of play the horror of it pretty well i think because it is gross and like you know cordy like we do feel like she's in trouble and like even when they go to wes's house and he's like you know trying to get his wheelchair over closet and like load the gun and it's like shaky like that feels like a like horror chase scene kind of right oh yeah the the wesley chase scene definitely builds very very good tension um and i love that we're aware that there's something happening he is not and even when angel opens the door and he's like, invite me in. And Wesley is just completely oblivious. Like <laughs> I rewatched this episode earlier before recording this. And I was still on the edge of my seat. And I'm yeah. like, fucking Wesley, like let him in. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and also to, to live in Wesley's apartment. If you were any of his neighbors, Oh my <laughs> God. <laughs> like uh, the, the gunshots, faith destroying the shower, like, <sighs> the worst tenant ever. <laughs> truly i did write that this episode went from like young and the restless to evil dead very quickly and i <laughs> appreciated what like by the time we got to wesley's apartment i was like this is what i want give me like an axe give me like slimy green blood on the wall like yeah 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 for some reason wes gets a lot of the gore you know he, he's always yeah. having goo or something sprayed on his face uh you know uh, blood on the walls uh, there uh, wes gets gored up quite a lot yeah, he does. The he wheeled does. one. <laughs> the wheeled one. Yeah. I forgot <laughs> that line. I forgot oh. about that. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> and then Cordelia, like, like repeats it. It's like, the wheeled one? Um, 
And I do, I actually do like Cordelia's, what she's like, I forget what she says. Well, I like that she yells at the powers that be, which is like, that was helpful because she gets a vision like two seconds before the <laughs> yeah. appears. Um, and I like that when she's like, you know, we didn't destroy any spawn, blah, 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 blah. And she's like, we just, you know, got rid of the third eye on that girl before we destroyed your spawn. Right. Um, yeah. And then we cut to this West scene, which I really like. And I, you're right, Dave. It's this episode did telenovela really well, but it also did the like demony shit really well. Like I like, I like that this plot is so like, doesn't really matter. Right. It's like, almost Zippo level, like, yeah, there's, like, demons, whatever. But it's important for, like, the characters. Like, these demons, it doesn't fucking matter what they're what they're doing. It doesn't matter about the family they murdered. Um, it's more just, like, their group is coming back together, and that's what's important. But I like that. I don't know. I feel like there is a world in which someone's like, that's cheap, but I, I like it. Um, I like that, you know, we're using these demons. Like you said, he answers the door and he's like, well, actually, Angel, you really hurt my feelings. And Angel's like, there's fucking demons. Invite me in so I can save you. And I like the way all that plays out. I like the, the horror of it all of like Wes using his shotgun to blast the demon across the room and him getting like showered in goo. Um, the smile, yeah. the <laughs> smile at, the, the, at each other before Wes remembers to be upset. Oh, yes. I love that so moment. So good. Yeah. <laughs> I also wrote down that moment. I loved it. It was like exes like trying to get back together. It kind of like, you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> it was a very cute moment. And I think Wesley played uh, played that very well. It was cute. Look at me calling yeah. the actor by the character's name. Jesus. <laughs> Wesley. <laughs> um, yeah. I, yeah. I just, I, the tension there where you're like watching him. He like knows he needs to protect himself, but he just is like, you know, the, the gun's up high. The, he's scared so he's having trouble loading it i and the thing i will say i was worried upon worried about upon this rewatch is i was like oh they're gonna do something really problematic with him being in a wheelchair but they don't which i was surprised yeah besides the demonic ableist language with wheeled one we're fine like (laughs) but like the demons it's like that makes sense that they would say something shitty but like these shows often when there's something like this i like brace for like oh like well Well, we're gonna do a thing but i mean if we're if I hate to do it, but if we're if we're going to wow. touch on uh, that real quick, and I, I I think these you know just bears acknowledging the number it, with uh, uh, the video series I'm working on for Buffy. I have a rolling counter for the number of times Giles gets knocked out uh, with the the Giles knockout counter, and I think it's unfortunate that you can probably do a mystical impregnation counter for yeah. uh angel and cordy and uh, this is this is number two or number three already i i have less of a problem with the damseling because i think that they do a fair job of damseling everyone um you know west got shot in thin deadline uh uh gun was the damsel f- uh, that cordy was trying to save um earlier in the season yeah but the mystical impregnation stuff uh, definitely wears thin as the series rolls on. Oh, also, I will say the way this scene was shot was really gratuitous. Like it was a bit unnecessary for me. I, I think like the parallels to sexual assault were like made very explicit, and then the specific—it's very like, rapey. Yeah, the specific camera angles, the like penetrative moment of the time—it was really like gross it, in a way. Standing where behind her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it, 
and I think it's like kind of like you said earlier, Ian, it's one of the m- moments where the show really fails at like kind of understanding the gravity or or grappling with the gravity of what it's alluding to because it's mm-hmm. almost played off like kind of like comedic uh, you know, like camp sort of moment, but I it was really, really gross. I felt very unsettled during this scene, and I think a lot of it had to do with the way it was shot and edited together, especially. No, that's a great take. Uh, yeah. I feel the same way. That's completely fair. Um, you know, then we, we already talked about it. We get Lindsay and Angel miserable on the couch. I really like the awkward car scene that we cut to of Wes and Angel. And I, you know, I don't often compliment David Boreanaz when he's doing anything when he's being good Angel, but I really like grovelly apologetic Angel where he's doing the straight guy thing where he's just trying to be like, Oh, I'm going to be really nice to you. And then we don't have to talk about it. Every, every single time David gets to do comedy, you realize that angel, the character is him playing against type. Yes. <laughs> like in, in this, it's interesting. Actually, I recently uh, obtained a gut wound of my, my own yeah. you know, yeah. in doing He's, he's very funny. And uh, the dance sequence and the uh, if you watch the outtakes from a lot of it, him hamming it up, you can tell that that is his more his natural nature as opposed mm. to the dark broody boyfriend character. So I love the episodes where he sort of gets to play, play it light. Yeah. And I do like when he's like, hey, guess who stabbed me? And Wes just deadpan is like, Darla. It's like, <laughs> no shit. <laughs> and it's kind of like yeah we saw this coming all season we kept telling you and you kept going back to her like i i also appreciate that they get to give him shit because we don't often get to see we don't really see angel like this right like often it's just like he's being dramatic and broody or like they're all friends but like i do like seeing every one of them get to drag him because also they deserve to be able to (laughs) we you know, we cut. We get another cut to Cordy with, like you guys mentioned, she's getting the tongue in her whatever head and whatever, getting her third eye. And then we cut back, and they've they're in the like new Angel Investigations headquarters. And Wes mentions a truck driving by. That's supposed to be Lindsay, right? The car that he mentions driving by a bunch. I guess I didn't even catch that. I will say I I forgot, but I wrote earlier in my notes, every scene with Lindsay and Darla before uh, he gets into the truck, I referred to as don't worry, Darla. It was just giving very, (laughs) very like uh, unhappy 50s marriage kind of vibes. Not to put us too far off track, but I was like, oh, I forgot I I wrote that. Um, But I I didn't catch that truck detail for sure. Ian, Nick, did either of you catch like Wesley's like looking out the window and he's like, there's a truck that's driven by three times. Well, because also when they're when they're driving, Angel's looking in the the side mirror. Yeah, and then they ask him like, "What?" and he's like, "No, maybe it's nothing." So I don't know if it was supposed to be Lindsay or, or if it demons. was supposed to be the demons because they randomly, literally, like appear <laughs> out of the corner of the frame when he lands on the car. So I don't, I, yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, you can like see the demon standing on a platform for like two seconds before jumping into yep. the car. I rewound it like three times. I was like, if you had cut just like two seconds later, it would have looked so good. <laughs> but it looks so <laughs> it was so great. <laughs> I don't even think I realized that. Like I didn't see that, but it is like very awkward. It's just like, oop, there's a demon. Ooh, all right, sure. Um Yeah, I'm looking at the goofs for this and that's listen there. Oh, that's a big old goof, yeah. Oh, and there's a 
there's a cameraman in Wes's apartment too, that as he's trying to get the bullets down. Uh, there's oh no, it's a sound guy sitting right behind the wheelchair. Uh, Wait, there really? Couple, yeah, there are a couple <laughs> of goofs in this episode. <laughs> Love that. That's like I always think of in uh, is it intervention. No, forever. Right, forever is when like Willow gives Dawn the access to the book to do the spell, and you see the sound guy just sitting there in the corner <laughs> of her dorm room. And like, I remember the first time I watched that, I was like, wait a minute, what the fuck was that? Like, it was like, what's that movie? Is it three men and a little lady where there's like a weird cardboard cutout of someone in the window? Yeah. And that's what I said. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so we, we then, so they turn off the lights. They're worried someone's coming. It's gun. And again, I said this in thin deadline. I, now understand why people have told me they ship Wesley and Gunn because I love <laughs> that. I love that, especially Gunn's like, yeah, I was gone, but didn't mean I wasn't coming back. I'm not going to abandon you like that guy. And like, looks right at Angel and Angel's like, I see you guys have bonded. And Gunn's like, this man took a bullet for me. And they do like their like best friend handshake. I very am very charmed by their relationship. Um, and I do like that we get to see how much they bonded without him. I don't know. I, mm. I like that, you know, it's like when you are close with someone, but it's like, Oh, that person's my best friend. And I'm getting close with like their close friend. But if you stop being friends with the best friend, eh, you kind of probably don't see that friend anymore. You know what I mean? It's like when you really like a friend, but you don't really hang out outside of like these other friends. And so it's nice to see these characters be able to like fully bond and like clearly have a family bond mm. even without angel. You know, it's like Buffy, um, Buffy, the Scoobies we knew, like Xander and Willow grew up together. We knew they were already friends. So we knew they could be friends without Buffy. But like I, Angel has brought these people together. But so it's nice to see that they can get along. And I also just like seeing Angel have to like eat shit and be jealous. Because <laughs> like, I would probably be jealous, but it's like, well, tough shit, you did this. So I like that. And I, you know, we got in the previous episode, we got a really nice West Cordy moment. And even before, I, I can't believe I skipped over this in my notes, even before this, when Angel's joking about, well, Cordelia probably went out. And Wesley's oh, like, my favorite. Right? Oh, it's and so Wesley, good. I wrote it down. He says, Our Cordelia has become a very solitary girl. She's not the vain, carefree creature mm. she once was. Well, not carefree at least. But I love that he's like, Don't you dare belittle Cordelia. She is still work. She's like, you know, she knows she can't. What does he say? Like, she can't turn her back on helping people because of her visions, unlike Angel. This is, this is, I mean, I know that they've had a bunch of other, you know, nice moments prior to this, but this to me is riffing on what you were already talking about, how even with Angel not around, these people are still together and they've grown together and they've become friends. This is the biggest example of how much Wesley and Cordelia's relationship has changed first from slobbering all over each other in the library stacks and then uh, bickering constantly throughout season one to how much he respects Cordelia now and how much she's changed and how good she is. And it's, I don't know. It's just like, I know that he's, you know, dragging angel for being a dick, but through that it just it's a heartwarming moment for me it was a really nice moment i think for to kind of acknowledge cordelia's growth but i do also love that a few minutes later in that scene they like finally using the notepad kind of track down where she went and i think it's angel who's like why would she go in the middle of the night and i think gun and wesley and unison go they owed us money 
So it's like, <laughs> in some ways, Cordelia has like really, truly like grown, changed. Like she's like a new character. And I think it's one of the few examples of, of like a, a quote unquote spinoff show taking an established character and changing them in a way that feels like natural, but like significant. Yeah. Um, but then at the very end, we get like one sort of character trait about Cordelia that is like steadfast and fixed. And it is her, <laughs> her persistence on getting paid in a timely fashion, which I really, <laughs> really loved. <laughs> and I like that, you know, they played as a joke, but like, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that, right? Like, like you said, Gabe, it's just, she just wants to be paid for the job they did in a timely oh, fashion. Baby, I'm a freelancer. I have done wilder <laughs> things to get paid on time. Okay. I respect it. <laughs> I respect it. I've had so many freelance jobs where they're like, oh no, we pay you after three months or we pay every six months. And I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> um, so like, I, yeah, I would love to be able to go to the house and be like, oh, I'm sorry. You didn't pay yet. Can you pay now? Um, we get the reveal that Cordy, we keep like cutting back to her. She's got the third eye now. Um, and then we cut back to the car. Gun says, so you had an epiphany. I turned in the Peter oh. Griffin meme pointing. I'm like, oh, that's the, that's the name of this episode. Um, and I love Gunn being able to get shitty with him. Mm. And he's like, I hope you don't have another one coming before we get to Cordelia, because if something's happened to her, something bad, I might just have an epiphany too. And then the demon jumps off a platform into the car. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's the wonky jump. There we go. Yeah. 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 Um, he kind of parks the car and he's like, I'll fight these demons. I'll meet you guys later. And then who runs him over with their car, Ian? <laughs> uh, country Lindsay in the Country Lindsay Mobile. Yes. <laughs> Full Carrie doing... Underwood, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny that in um, an episode with demons that plant babies in the back of your head and all of that, the least realistic thing to me is Angel leaping to his feet after getting brutalized with a sledgehammer and a car seven times in a row, like <laughs> yeah. the number of times he gets run over those, they deliberately remove frames from him getting hit with the sledgehammer to make it look that much more vicious and brutal him. I know he's a vampire, but that turned his bones to paste the whole <laughs> Yeah, the, it, It's <laughs> so violent, <laughs> that whole sequence. And then he's fine. Uh, yeah, it's, it is a little bit like, I don't know. He wouldn't recover that fast, would he? But, you know, whatever. And this is... <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm, I was being reminded that, like, when I did first watch a show, I fucking hated Lindsay. Like, I was I was like, oh, this is a thing that made me hate Lindsay almost as much as I hated Kate. Kate did not switch over watching the show this time. I think maybe I hated her more because I just mostly <laughs> forgot about her before. But Lindsay, I, like, really hated because kind of the same reasons I don't like Kate because it was such a mess with the back and forth. And I'm like, my dude, like, just say you want to suck his dick. It's fine. We, <laughs> we're open-minded here. Like, just my, my dude, like you can even say you're still straight and angel's the only guy you want to, I don't care, but just like, it is obvious. You don't need to smash him with a hammer. You want to be smashing with him. Like, I don't, so this kind of like annoys me because I'm just like, he has something he needs to get done, sir. Can you wait till later? <sighs> Although I, uh, Angel uh, shattering his hand definitely is another one of those moments for me with Lindsay that we were talking about. You know, after Lindsay has just run Angel over several times when uh, Angel shatters his hand and says, be glad it wasn't the other one. 
<laughs> that look on uh, Lindsay's face does get me a little bit. Once again, another e- evil, dark character and then pulling um, empathy from me. I mean, that's that's fair. Gabe, what do you think? I, uh, man, I, he does sort of seem like an interruption at this point in a, a plot thread I don't necessarily care about that much, um, mm-hmm. which is like Lindsay's obsession with Darla. I don't really understand to like what end this has, this like scene is placed here and why now. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm much more intrigued now that like I've gotten your queer reading of it, Ian. Now I'm like, oh, well, maybe this scene is important and I should go back and watch it with new eyes. <laughs> Nick? <sighs> well, I like the jacket that Lindsay is wearing. <laughs> that is the extent of what Style I like about this scene. There we go, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, calling it an interruption would be apt for me i i think this is an episode i mean i know that this isn't Lindsay's last episode even of the season because this i mean he eventually has the whole cop suck thing when he leaves to (laughs) quote unquote find himself but it just feels like they they didn't know what to do with Lindsay anymore same thing with kate they didn't know what to do so they both kind of like okay we got to start wrapping this up so we can move on to the holt storyline and Lindsay. Ian, to your point, like, I'm just like, fuck already. Because right. it's, it's just so uninteresting. I don't care that they're beating the shit out of each other. I don't understand. I didn't understand when I first watched it. I was like, why is he driving like the Jeepers Creepers truck? Like <laughs> the Jeepers Creepers. It, it was all too much for me. But well, the jacket was nice, at least. <laughs> it was a little bit uh, Love, Simon meets country. Um, but yeah, so they have their fight. We see that Wes and Gunn are, you know, they see what's going on with Cordelia, and then they get captured, right? I, I do like when Cordy's like, I knew you guys would come save me, and they're like, well, we tried. And it's actually that they're, like, captured. And Wes kind of, like, isn't like he asks where Angel is, and then we go back to Lindsay and him playing, like, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. Like, I'm just, the, like... But it's, I mean, it's supposed to be, right? The, my thing is that it is supposed to be an interruption, so I'm like, am, mm. I, maybe I'm just supposed to be annoyed with it. Whatever. I mean, it does give Angel a very cool hero moment. You know, Lindsay's like, tell me every detail of fucking Darla. And, you know, I, you know what, Ian, I do have in my notes, I do feel a little bad for him when Angel's, also, Angel does it for me when he's being really cocky and he's like punching him saying, sorry, I did this. Ooh, sorry, I did this. (laughs) Just like he is using Lindsay as a fucking punching bag. Lindsay deserves it. But again, I go back to like the Darla of it all where it's like, oh, this man just wants to suck your dick, dude. And you are kicking his ass. He just can't admit it. Um, so I do like a little bit. I'm like, oh, boy, he's really humiliated. He gets his hand smashed. Um, and then Angel borrows his car. And <laughs> the like music that plays when Angel's racing his car to the house feels like Avengersy, right? Well, it's a, yeah, it's an action beat yeah. for sure. The thing I was distracted by the last time I saw it was like, wait a second, looking at those windows, Wesley's in a wheelchair. Is he clearing those with like Angel driving through the wall and the blinds are closed? It they play it like a high action moment. It it actually is it feels like a really stupid decision on Angel's part <laughs> yeah. uh, to put everyone inside at risk. But uh, you know, again, there's a whole lot of uh, don't think about it, just watch going on in these last two episodes. And mostly, yeah. I do, and mostly it works well. Yeah. 
the a thing. So yeah, they're they're about to all get the the eyes in their head. Angel crashes into the house, which also I don't know if any of you that feels like a. There's a couple times this season in Angel where like this feels like a set piece they haven't done before. Um, mm. And this feels like, right? Like it almost feels like, I'm like, would Buffy have had the budget to do, would they have let Buffy have the budget to like crash a car into like a fake house? Definitely not. Right. It feels like yeah, they there, there's, there's, dever, there's several, not even in just, just this season, but there's several points that stick out in my head throughout the series where I too think like they would have never been able to do this on Buffy. Like I think of, Illyria tossing Angel through the window <laughs> of Wolfram and Hart, and he like falls like 30 stories and bounces off the pavement. That I'm like, they would have never been able to do that in Buffy. Like, I mean, even Buffy falling off the tower in the gift. Like, think of the way that they filmed that versus yeah. the way that they filmed stuff on Angel. It's yeah. just very, very different. There was now that we're talking about it, I think the last episode I was on was Reunion, and there's a moment where I think um Darla and um, Drusilla like body slam each other into a skylight or something yeah. like that. That was such an impressive like um, stunt and set piece kind of moment. And yeah, I don't know. I mean, we get like really great stunts in in Buffy as the the seasons go on, but it it is. I think there's slightly more extravagance in this show in terms of like FX and um, and stunts. But it's also like sort of like to what end? It almost feels like someone's like we could do this. Like, do you think we could fit it into the episode? Like we could drive through a house. Like why not? Did they start the slow-mo yet? Cause I know that they use that a lot in later seasons of Angel, but I don't know if they started it in season two. God, they really do. I do remember Charisma Carpenter. And I've mentioned this a lot when we interviewed her on the show, her saying that Angel always went over budget and like, she had a fear of being canceled for numerous reasons, but that was also one of them that she was always worried. Like everyone on the show was worried they'd get canceled for going over budget in almost every single episode, which like, I also have no concept of TV budgets because I remember when I was interviewing the Buffy season seven costume designer doing like outros of the fashion for every episode, he'd be like, oh, that sweater that Dawn wears for two seconds was $3,000. But then the top Buffy wore for the whole episode. Oh, that was fifty dollars for Macy's. Like the 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 like money they spent was so all over the place. So I'm like, how much money did this show go over? Right? Like, I mean, I always wonder how much they spent on whenever they do the courtyard scene, since the actual courtyard and the hotel are not the same. Mm. Because the courtyard's like actually much- a courtyard, right? That's real. Yeah, like I, I, yeah. I've been to the hotel and the courtyard and the outside of it are exactly as you see in the show, but the inside is something completely different. So oh, it's like wow. they would have had to have rented that each time that they needed to film a courtyard scene. And I mean, that's like kind of the same with Buffy's house, too, because that they would actually film on the porch of that house. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah, because I think it wasn't until later seasons that instead of filming on the inside of the house, they eventually turned it into a set. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but so we mentioned that Wesley was in a wheelchair. Do, isn't it weird that like he is not by the end of the episode? Yeah. Like yeah. so, Angel crashes a truck into the car and there are like two things that I was like, wait a minute. And I rewound to be like, did I miss? Because Cordelia's laying unconscious on the ground and Wes is able to stand. And it's like, wait a minute, do we miss something? Cause like, Oh no, because he couldn't. He couldn't get out of the chair to grab the shotgun. Right. 
because of his wound. But then when he, when him and Gunnar are looking through the window, he tries to stand up and is in pain and can barely stand up. But then once he is in the house, it's like, there's no longer an injury. Yeah. And then right? at the end, he's just got a cane, which is supposed to be like, what, like hours later or something. <laughs> but again, I think Ian, you said there's a lot of things you're just like Meh, about in this episode where you just take it and go. I think this season kind of got off track and they had a couple of departures and the fact that the these two episodes work as well as they do at all is a, is a magic act. Um but there are a whole bunch of things that uh yeah are just kind of hanging. The other yeah. thing too is Angel driving through that wall. He didn't know the family was dead. So the <laughs> wife, the That's husband, true. the children <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the more, I th- the more I think about it, the more that that that's a weird beat. <laughs> um, so, oh, right. He kicks the shit out of every demon. And I love they like, you know, wrap up the West does a thing and the eye goes away. Sure. Which is fine. Yeah. What was it? The eye, the third eye powder that he asked Gunn to grab earlier. Who's like, grab the third eye powder. And I'm like, <laughs> great that you have that lying around. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> like, sure. Fine. Whatever. Um, the thing I love, which is another moment I relate to Cordelia when he like goes to help her up and he's like, are you okay? And she's like, no, you really hurt my feelings. <laughs> I, the thing I, and this is like what I love about Cordelia, right? Is like, yeah, she's glad she was saved, but she's still not forgiving your ass for being a dickhead to her. Like she is going to make you talk about it. She's not going to be the rest of the straight dudes where it's like, all right, okay, you were dick, but we're going to do this. Like she's, like, we're doing this, but I'm calling you on it the entire time we're doing it. Um, and that is a thing that I love about my Cordelia Chase. Um, Nick, what do you think of that? I mean, I think uh, Cordelia, while, you know, she is often, her and Wesley and, like, say, Faith, they're often um, put on a pedestal. And, they, you know, th- th- they're the ones that have had the most character growth throughout the series. And I think Cordelia specifically, putting aside season four, since it wasn't her, right. uh, she has been the most consistent. And what I mean by that is, is I always think back to homecoming where she's arguing with Buffy and Buffy says, uh, your brain isn't even connected to your mouth. Is it? But then I think <laughs> of like when Giles is talking to her in uh, killed by death and she and he says you've never even heard of tact and she says tact is just saying things that are not true yeah. not saying true stuff she <laughs> she might have grown as the character which she obviously does but even in your welcome she is physically unable to not say exactly what is on her mind yeah yes and she and- always says what is the truth and i like that even in that moment where <laughs> he came crashing through the you know <laughs> the front window and all of this other stuff happening the second that she sees him it's just, just so you're aware, you hurt my feelings. I like that. Yeah. I will say if Lauren is queer coded, Cordelia is Latina coded for me. I, <laughs> yes. you know what I mean? Like, I, <laughs> I just, she's really, I feel like I have a cousin like Cordelia and she is, she's that girl for me. I mean, that's, she was my mother's favorite. Yeah, that makes so much sense. <laughs> yeah, right. that's great. That's great. She's and like, Cordelia mom, is Puerto Rican, actually. Yeah, that's where my, we're reckoning that, yeah. My mom would always say, like, oh, well, she must be Hispanic. Like, she must be Latina, because... Uh, <laughs> and, like, when it, like, I think she did say, like, one of her, like, grandfather, like, I think her one grandfather is. 
And like, you know, so she's like one tenth. And I told my mom, my mom was just like, mm, yeah, that makes sense. I, I knew that. Like, I got that. <laughs> Wait, Charisma Carpenter's said- like real grandfather is. Yes. Like uh, her one grandfather on one side. Oh, yeah. happy Hispanic heritage month <laughs> to us. Look at the Latino <laughs> representation on television. Wow. Wow. <laughs> but right. It really, Dave, that's like so true. It really is. It explains so much. It explains so much. He's more Latina than Rosalia. This is great. This is amazing. <laughs> and I mean, she's got the hoops on, you know, like. Baby, the uh, cunty bob, the hoops, no filter, <laughs> showing up late to get her money. I know that woman. I might be related to her. Amazing. Amazing uh, revelation. <laughs> so then we cut to Lindsay. There's a note on his car. Um, he sees that Darla has left. It's such a, I can't decide. So I've heard, Ian, I didn't know. Did you confirm this? I feel like you or Nick might know more than like, I would know, Dave, maybe, you know, like, is it true that like Julie Benz and uh, Christian Kane like weren't available and that's why they did the Pylea arc? Does anyone know? That I'm not sure of. I've been told that numerous times, but I don't know. I like can't find it anywhere, but also like. I know no one's doing deep dives into the character of Lindsay online. So like, (laughs) you know, like, okay, that might've happened. And Julie Benz was on Dexter. Like, so she would have just been on Dexter. So it would make sense because her leaving this way feels so weird. Like, yeah. The the, the episode I I think about that I thought was supposed to be the table setter for the way the season was supposed to go and looks nothing like where things end up is um, redefinition. Yeah. Yeah. So Angel spends the entire uh, episode monologuing to himself and working out and montaging. And I loves me a good montage, but <laughs> none of it makes any sense. You know, right. so, uh, uh, let them fight the battles. Someone needs to fight the war. I'm not ready. Now I'm ready, but I'm not ready. Okay. I'm ready. You know, <laughs> the, the, it's total nonsense. Uh, and then he sets the two of them on fire at the end of the episode. Uh, Darla and Drew have the conversation with uh, Lila and Lindsay about we're taking over. And you think like they're going to be the new boss. And then you get this bald guy with glasses that is a poor uh, Holland Manners uh, a couple of episodes later that he's the one who really takes over. But compared to where redefinition looked like things were going to go, to this which is yeah. just kind of a, a soft reset of the beginning of the season uh although i love the revealed themes and i love uh sort of the journey itself um this is not what it looked like the season was setting up for sure yeah so right so like i do feel like that rumor would make sense right it would make yeah that would explain it if um actors and commitments and all of that were i mean it's it's one of the challenges of weighing your arc storyline so heavily on side characters instead of your full-time actors uh i would think you know because working actors gotta work and have to take the guaranteed work um but i don't know i don't know exactly what happened it definitely feels this stuff season definitely feels meandering and the way this ties it off is impressive but yeah i will say that i was happy that it happened the way that it did though because angel uh, often is is much darker than buffy buffy just normally had a little i mean not season six but like you know had a, a little bit of a lighter tone it was a little bit more fun whereas angel 
especially with the themes and stuff, it, it, it was a little bit harder to not I me, mean, not for me, I'm obsessed, but the, you know, it was a little bit harder to get through. So I was happy that they sort of wrapped They were like, okay, it's been a dark season. Angel hasn't been the angel that we all sort of uh, have known up until this point. So wrapping this up three quarters of the way through the season and then sort of just coasting and then having the Pylea arc throughout the rest of it. I enjoyed that because the Pylea arc is one of my favorites. So I just enjoyed, uh, like even earlier when we were talking about how we all appreciated that uh, the rest of the gang was able to sort of drag Angel and let him know, you know, that they were unhappy with him and all of that other stuff. I was happy that that wasn't something like Angel's whole obsession with Darla and all that shit it lasted almost the entire season. I was, I was very, very thankful that they get their riffs in on him. And then it's like two or three episodes and then it's back to the status quo. And then we have the Pylea arc. It felt refreshing. No, I completely agree. I, and I also think that there is Angel str- struggles sometimes with the line between dark and dreary Dark Ooh, is yeah. fun. Dark is uh, it can be engrossing. Dreary is grueling, and there are le- some of the later seasons and some of the later stories of Angel really fall into dreary as opposed yeah. to dark. Um, yeah. So I, I and I always love the comedic beat. The classic Buffy verse one that I go back to is you know Buffy and Angel fighting under the sprinklers. Him saying, you can't do it. You can't kill me. And then cutting to Oz, pointing to the judge's arm on the ground and going, ah, arm. You know, the <laughs> the the refreshing comedy beat from uh, the dramatic. These shows are usually really good at it, but Angel sometimes falls too much into that dreary uh, uh, area. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah. So then we, you know, we cut to Kate and Angel. Uh Ian, do you want to, I know I love this, but I know that you really love this. So I'm curious to hear you talk about it. (laughs) Well, it's like I was saying is it's the, um, it is the epiphany. It is the kind of naked existential philosophy of the show late, you know, it's laid bare. Um, And I, I go into pretty heavy detail about this um, on my, my channel, if anyone has any interest, but there is, the important line, which has sort of a Zen Cohen neatness uh, a little too much is if nothing we do matters, then all that matters is what we do. But the key part that he says afterwards is what we do today, right now, um, which grounds that in this moment, this time, all of that. And Angel, this season is about Angel getting lost in the idea of winning the war. The Shanshu prophecy is a, is baked away from the actual mission, right? Is the idea that that there's a reward, that there's a finish line to cross, that if I do enough, if I accumulate enough, if I, uh, all of that, then I get to be human again, I get to be sober again, I get to be, you know, all of the various metaphors that um, apply to the show. And that's why he eventually gives up the Shanshu prophecy is because, what matters is the battle today. Yeah. You know, in in redefinition, he says, let them fight the battle. Someone has to fight the war. And the reality, uh, as set up in Buffy, uh, amends is sort of Angel, the series episode zero, where all of these themes are touched on. But in Gingerbread, uh, Joyce has said to 
Buffy that what good is being the Slayer? You never win. Is Sunnydale running out of vampires? And in the only scene in that episode that I actually enjoy, um, Angel and Buffy are sitting in the playground park later on. And Buffy says, but I fight, but I never win. And Angel says, we never do. That's not why we fight. We do it because there are things worth fighting for. And I love, uh, for me a little bit, there was a, like, is this redundant then? I'm sort of repeating this idea, but you know, the way I've distinguished it is Buffy's a show about growing up. Angel is a show about being an adult. And for damn sure, if there's one thing that I can identify with as an adult, it's needing to learn the same lesson over and over and over again uh, from different perspectives, from different contexts, from all of that. And so him sort of becoming exhausted with, you know, he's Sisyphus. He's pushing the rock up the hill every day and him becoming exhausted with that journey and wanting it to be over and wanting to win and finally just wanting to die, I think is a very um, human and identifiable exploration through these fantasy lenses. Um, And I say without hyperbole, that sequence in the courtyard changed my life. You know, that was 10 years, I think I was 31 when I watched uh, the show for the first time. I was dealing with my own hitting bottom and um, all of that. So the themes of alcoholism and, and were deeply resonant to me. And there's a big, um, the big tenant in uh, AA when it comes to sobriety is you don't focus on how long do I have to go before I'm normal, before I'm complete, before I am no longer an alcoholic? You focus on today, right now, the battle today. And that's why the the um, alcoholism metaphor fits so well. That's why I just, no matter the, the lore mistakes and the mystery box bullshit with Holland and all of that, I just treasure this sequence in this arc of the show and that courtyard sequence between the two of them i i love that ian i feel like i have nothing as profound to say as you do so i'm like well yeah i like it (laughs) but yeah no i love that reading of this i love that it like means that much to you because i i do love this and i do if we if we still had kate on the show and we moved forward with this version i think there's a world in which i would have liked her right like i do this character that is like oh yeah, this shit sucks, but it's all real. It's not his fault. You know, like I, I like that version of this character. Who's like someone who can be an ally, but doesn't have to be there all the time. Yeah. I don't, I, Nick, what, what do you think? Oh, I I cannot follow (laughs) what (laughs) you just said. He said it perfectly. Uh, I mean, this is one of my favorite scenes of the entire series. Oh, I like, the reference that, you know, it was probably the powers that allowed him to come into the apartment. It it reminded me a lot of how we were supposed to, I mean, I'm assuming we're supposed to assume this, but um, that it was the powers that be that caused the snowstorm in. Yeah. I I love that parallel. The powers saved his life there and the powers, um, you know, Kate is in a suicidal tailspin, these two episodes, and the powers save her. You know, just uh, the the suicidal beat from Amends is paralleled here. It's it's amazing how they took the the wish Amends and Gingerbread and the ideas they were playing with there and, and built it out in this season. And exactly. I think the thing that I like most is that they're not hitting you over the head with the parallels, but they are there. I mean, maybe the Darla-Buffy parallel is a little hitting you over the head, but the rest of it isn't. I think it's like... 
if you watch this never having watched amends, it's still good, right? Completely, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Gabe, uh, <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> um, I really liked what Ian said about uh, this. Like, if, if Buffy is a show about growing up, then Angel is a show about being an adult. And I think there is something so adult and sophisticated about the reset we see happen in this episode. Because rather than, like, resolving a plot point and introducing a new one, like a new big bad or, like, yeah. you know, it's a team member dying and being replaced, like, rather than than refreshing and revamping the plot what this episode does is refresh and revamp the perspective the like reason for being why angel does what he does why the group is together and i think there's something really interesting about that because it's not a a very flashy kind of reset um it's a it's an internalized and very existential one and i think it's really cool the way they pull off that moment um i agree with what um Ian Host also said um, <laughs> about uh, this sort of being like a moment for Kate where we have this like moment of clarity and lucidity and sort of like uh, drive to her um, after like this really dark low point that is so interesting. And I, I maybe would have liked to have seen explored if they could have like done a hard reset with that character's motivation and, and point of view as well. Um, but it is a really, really beautiful scene. And I, I do kind of like you know, I think when shows do this too much and they're like, this is the thesis statement of the episode, it can feel a little right. clunky. But I think here, kind of like laying bare the philosophy of of where the show is going to go after this is oddly kind of refreshing and, and feels very um, writerly in a good way. Um, that doesn't feel heavy handed. And one of the big things I think saves it from being a little too... Um, from being pablum is uh, she says... Um, uh, he says, I, I never got it. And she says, now you do. And he says, not all of it. Mm. You know, there, there are, um, one of the things in my life that's made a huge difference is sort of focusing on the idea that healthy mental health, physical health, all of that healthy is a journey, not a destination. You know, whether I'm at my target weight or whether I'm, uh, feeling well adjusted or psychologically balanced or whatever, there, there's never a line I cross. I'm going to cross where I feel like the trauma or the things I've dealt with in my life, where I, I am fixed. Healthy is being involved in the conversation day to day. Is in thinking about how am I feeling? What am I doing? For am I taking care of myself? All of that. And I love that. Again, the show keeps away from that idea of like, no, we have the solution. It's it, healthy is a journey, not a destination. And even in this episode, I think that Angel has made a mistake uh, in his perspective. He tells Darla in uh, at the opening of the episode, I thought if I could save you that I could I could save myself. And when I didn't when I didn't save you. But the thing is, he did save Darla, you know, like Darla is lost. Darla is um, uh Sartre called it an object in the universe at the mercy of its circumstances. When she finds out she's going to die, she's uh, hitting up bar vampire bars to the scuzziest, grossest guys she would never debase herself with uh, before. And Angel says, is this really how you want to end up? And then after Angel uh, in the trial is willing to sacrifice himself and willing to um, sacrifice himself for her to prolong her life to, to all of that, the moment in the hotel where they're sitting there and he says, maybe if I did bite you, it would be different. She says, no, she makes a choice. She 
has changed. He has saved, for all intents and purposes, he has saved her. The end was going to come regardless of would be it 10 minutes from then or two months or, or whenever the syphilis takes over and, and she finally succumbed to her illness. He saved her soul in that scene. And it's demonstrated by her being willing to make the choice, uh, the, the, the good choice, the honest choice right there. So there's a whole bunch wrapped up in this episode that I just find deeply emotionally resonant, even to this day, watching this episode over and over again. That yeah. was really well said. Yeah. Yeah, it really God is. Damn. <laughs> damn. <laughs> um, yeah, and so then we, we get our wrap-up with Kate, who, again, Ian, it's weird, because we've talked about this now both episodes. Like, Holland Manor is, also says the premise of the show, but both times it does work. Well, one of the things I love is that that Whedon, as a policy, uh, gave the bad guys truth to tell. Yeah. That's always something throughout Buffy, and you know the mayor is the one that tells Buffy and Angel what kind of life is that for her. Uh, yeah. You know, you growing old and you watching her die. Parker, Parker of all people, has a wonderful bit. In um, in the dark, where he is talking, to it, it, the way he has to seduce Buffy. So, what better way of having him seduce Buffy than by him speaking the philosophy of her own show to her? And in that scene, he says, um, "Some say that history is just people getting sucked up in events that they have uh, no control of, but I don't believe that. I always believe you have a choice in everything you do, you know, and that's Buffy talking to um, what's his nuts in lie to me. You don't, you have a choice. You don't have a good choice, but you have a choice. You know, every time a character is lost, they say, I don't have a choice in Buffy. And so Parker speaking, her philosophy is, I love that about the shows is uh, giving the, the evil characters truth to tell. Yeah. No, I agree with that. And like, I mean, Anya explicitly says that in season seven when she's like, I told the truth all the time when I was evil. Like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because yeah. they're trying to say like, oh, no, the evil is going to be lying to us. And she's like, not always like, you know, sometimes the, the worst thing you do is say the truth to someone The I always say, <laughs> I don't know if this is exposing myself to it. Like, I always say, like, I, the most lying I do is when I like, don't want to hurt someone's feelings. Like, I will tell someone someone said something else because I don't like, I think it's okay. Like, you know, I, in my teens, I grew up with a lot of friends that would love to be like, this person said this about you. And like, that shit sucks. Like, don't do that. I just, I, for me, I'm, I would, you know, I've had a friend be like, did that person say anything? And I'm like, no, they didn't, but they did. And I just, why, why <laughs> do I want to hurt someone's feelings? Why do I want to be gossipy? You know, like, so I like that the way the villains get to them is by just saying the truth. Cause it sucks um, sometimes. But yeah, so we go back to the new Angel Investigations in their smaller office. Uh, Cordy's on the phone. Angel walks in. And I I love, love that he just says he's sorry. There is no, you know, after Cordelia like ends with saying, you hurt my feelings, he knows he can't get away with just trying to get back in, right? Not a lot of people say they're sorry, right? I Not a lot of people can just say, hey, I'm sorry. I have trouble with that myself, you know? Sometimes you get so embarrassed. You're like, oh, God. But, like, I am a big proponent of apologizing, and I I like seeing Angel swallow his pride and apologize. And then when they say, you know, we're not ready to come back for you, and he was like, I wasn't, I'm not here to rehire you. I'm here to say I want to work for you. 
And like, you know, they say, how do we know we can trust you? And he says, we'll have to earn that. And I just, I really liked that. I really liked seeing our hero. He was being grovelly, trying to be extra nice to like bypass the sorry, realized that didn't work. So he just said, sorry. Yeah. They couldn't name the episode amends again. So uh, <laughs> it's named epiphany, but I, I think that an apology, um, the thing that's powerful about this episode is Gun teasing him about it in the car. So you had an epiphany. Oh, you're going to let me know when you have another one. Uh, yeah. How nice for you is that epiphanies, apologies are not change. Changes yeah. is um, occurs through your actions and the thing, the actions that you take with other people. And I love that that's acknowledged here is um, apologies are important. Epiphanies are important, but what matters is the action you take and him coming to work for them, I think is, is just lovely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's very, uh, in theme with his character, you know, it's, uh, Ian too, what you were mentioning sort of before with, uh, resonating with it, with, uh, you know, like, uh, being healthy and stuff. I think that's probably one of the reasons that I really, really like, uh, the, the, the concept of the show, because I think about it in the same way of, when it comes to mental health, I I was dating somebody before and they, you know, had were dealing with mental health issues, but they didn't want to go and take care of it. And when I finally convinced them to go to therapy, we got to the point where, we, you know, we had a couple weeks where there was no issues. And the second that that happened, they were like, okay, I'm cured. I don't need to go to therapy anymore. Mm-hmm. And in my head, I was like, that's not how this works. Like, it, it, the goal shouldn't be one day I'm just going to be completely healthy when it comes to like mental health stuff. It's as somebody who has suffered since I was a kid with depression, it's not something that goes away, but it's something which echoes the show. You keep fighting against the goal is to continue to improve things to get yourself to a point where you feel better, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to go away. And the reason that I bring that up is this end scene with them and Angel choosing to work for them. Although that really only like lasts a couple episodes, but yeah. the what pops into my head is they always say that like uh, people who have depression, there's a, a sort of familiarity with feeling down that it's easier to feel down because you're so used to that feeling mm-hmm. than just to be happy. And I feel like this is, it, I mean, it makes me laugh a little bit, but Angel suffers. And sometimes it seems like he actively chooses to suffer because yeah. he doesn't feel like he deserves not to. And mm-hmm. I feel like him choosing to work for them and to uh, continue to be maybe not berated, but uh, to take his punishment, it feels like a mental health thing to me. Mm. Like that, that's what he knows. So he had the epiphany and he found who quote unquote angel is again. And that is a character that suffers. And I feel like that's what this last scene sort of says to me. I'm like, that to me says angel is back versus Mm. him trying to be like, yeah, I'm sorry. I did what I did. Let's go back to the status quo. I'm going to, I'm going to lead angel investigations. It's angel is a person who suffers. Angel is a person who oftentimes voluntarily chooses to suffer because a, he thinks that's what he deserves with B that's what he's known for almost a hundred years at this point. So 
that I really like this end scene because that says, okay, now we're actually back. It's not yeah. just that the the group has let him back in. It's his actions of choosing to suffer again while fighting the good fight. That is angel to me. Yeah. And there's a big, there's a big trick um, or, or thing about getting sober that um, is sort of the first pitfall or the first thing that you run into is when you're drinking a lot, when you're, uh, self-medicating sobriety is the first step sobriety is uh, the removal of one particular symptom what then happens is you need to address the thing the reason you were drinking you know what were you medicating for and I think that there's if he's giving up the evil tailspin that he um, I love that that take Nick if he's giving up the evil tailspin here it's sort of like a return to the status quo but we still see then the depression or the things that he needs to address he needs to work on that um, ultimately built up and led to the the tailspin that we saw this season yeah for me what it seems like he's letting go of is this whole lore that I think we've developed with this kind of like false lead prophecy, right? The idea of him being the hero, the chosen one, the one that has to make the unilateral decision because all of fate is converging upon like this very moment where he's the most important and will, um, as we said earlier, like win this war. And so when you're faced with this sort of existential <laughs> crisis of like not not having a, a, a win be possible ever, right? I think this sort of decision to like let go of that mantle and also shift to be like, all right, well, if we cannot, if there is no decisive victory, then the most we can do is make life bearable or better for the people around us, because that's what we owe each other. Um, I think this choice to sort of step down from the lead is is more, because, you know, we kind of go back to Stasis a little later, and he is quote unquote leading them. But this this move to step down as the lead, I think, is really just supposed to signify that shift in Angel's perspective, right? Like, I cannot be the one that will that will do all of this. It is pointless to think of life this way and sort of shifting his focus back on community and those around him is kind of like the, I think the real action here that shows a shift in perspective. Um, Cause I think even if we kind of do sort of return to stasis or traditional power dynamics in later episodes, that realization is always there, right? That it's like, we're not yeah. on this like linear hero's journey anymore where I'm it. And this is me. Um, which is something I think Buffy struggles with in a different way because it is, it is sort of her, <laughs> but she can't win either. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I think there's like a, there's a really interesting shift here where it's like, we, Angel has to let go of something, but it's, it's like you said, Ian, realizing what it was that was causing him to hold on to this so tightly, I think is the real significant shift, uh, that happens at the end of this episode. I love all my very smart, big brain co-hosts. You're all <laughs> great. Um, yeah, I. This was a really fun discussion. Uh, we are at the end, so uh, favorite outfit, Gabe. Um, I've got to go with um, Ian on this one. The Skiloth demons—is that what we're calling them? This, yeah. Wh what were they? I always forget. Skilosh? Something like that. I spelled it differently every time. <laughs> yeah, I know. I had to turn on the captions. I was like, "What?" I really liked their outfits. I the eyes creep me <laughs> out. They're absolutely disgusting. But I was like, "Give me, give me fashion." If you're going to come from another realm, if you're like emerging from hell, I want to know like, like what the trends are, what's in the zeitgeist among demons at present. And I feel like uh, strong shoulder pads and unnecessary eyeballs is like really in this season. And I love it. <laughs> really in this season. It's so um, super. 
Ian, what was I? Are you gonna have the same answer? Maybe. <laughs> uh it's that or Lauren in the robe. I mean, Lauren always looks good. You know, that's true. He looks uh, like he 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 got dolled up for bed. <laughs> you know, <laughs> everything is a thought. Everything's planned, and it's it's gorgeous. Uh, Nick. Oh, it's 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 the bathrobe for sure. One, oh my god like it, I like it so much to the point that I want to take like a screenshot of it and go on that subreddit where it's like where can I find this <laughs> so I can get yeah. it for myself I'm obsessed with it and I do really really like uh, Lindsay's urban cowboy jacket <laughs> that he has on uh, I my favorite is Cordelia's outfit I mean I named it last episode as well but she wears a jean jacket with it this time I love the like low rise tight black jeans with like the big belt belt buckle uh the denim jacket with like the greenish top she looks great then she looks great um and i love a jean jacket especially on like a badass lady that i love so uh favorite scene nick uh courtyard scene for me gabe Oh, this is tough. I think it's uh, it's either got to be, well, okay, so like favorite emotional resonance writing moment, the courtyard scene, but I think favorite like, oh, I could get into this episode moment is um, Wesley's apartment. The fight with the demons in there was, I thought it was shot really well. It was a really fun yeah. kind of classic horror vibe sequence. Ian? Yeah, it's the, it's the courtyard scene. Yeah. And I, I there's a... Um, I, apropos of nothing, there we were just talking about the courtyard and where uh, they were shooting things and so forth. In an earlier courtyard scene in this season, I think it's the trial. Darla is sitting in the courtyard as Angel comes out and she's sniffing a flower and she says, Jasmine, it blooms at night. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. I think I brought that up. I think I was on that. I, yeah, I was on that episode. Yeah, I loved that little uh, weird, foreshadowing yeah we're the the more i watch the show the more i'm like it, did they did they mean <laughs> to do it you know is it a retcon or was it, uh, anyway <laughs> uh i think for me i i love that courtyard scene i love everything in the car with wes and gun i just like seeing that they've all become a family um and i like wes defending court like all the stuff where it's seeing West Gun, West and Gun, how much, how close they've come, them defending Cordy. Like I like all of that. Which I guess now I'm. That's not a scene. Those are scenes. But yes, also the courtyard scene is fantastic, and I do like the West scene. Now I'm. I have a zillion favorite scenes. Right. So uh, we're gonna grade <laughs> this episode because clearly I'm gonna give it a high grade. Uh, Ian, what grade do you give this episode? I mean, it's it's an A. It's an A plus. Like the so often with these shows just make me feel something and I will forgive so many things. Um, yeah. and I, and I feel so much with this, sh this episode, uh, Gabe, I thought it was really lovely. It's, uh, the, this season of angel set out a really high bar for me with reunion. And I thought it was just such a smooth, beautiful episode. And there were some clunky moments here, despite how much the ending kind of brings it home for me. The beginning didn't quite, I was like, Oh, where are we going? And then the end kind of sealed the deal. So I would give it a B. Okay, uh, Nick? I'm going to give it a B as well. While it does have, you know, the courtyard scene, some very, very great moments, it's just the stuff with Lindsay and Darla that just drags for me. Mm. So because of that, I can't give it the A, but I think a B is a solid grade. 
I I'm gonna go with an A plus. I just I do agree the Lindsay and Darla stuff is, but it just for me I love everything else that I'm willing to overlook. Thank you all for doing this, Ian. Thank you for spending the weekend with me and recording back to back reprise and epiphany. It was my pleasure. Thing <laughs> um, is, the most we've recorded in one weekend together, and uh, I think it went pretty fucking well. Um, thank you all for listening. If you want to find SlayerFest98, we are on all podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and on YouTube, uh, where you can get access to, we put up the page shorter versions of the Patreon video episodes. I have uh, our lovely editor, Ashley, edit them down to 20-minute episodes. You can get previews of them over there, and then if you want to watch the whole thing, you can subscribe to our Patreon. Uh, and if you want to find us on social media, we are on all social media platforms at SlayerFestX98. If you want to follow me, I'm at Carlos. Gabe, where can everyone find you? Yes, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram using the handle Gaybones, G-A-Y-B-O-N-E-Z. It's a terrible nickname that will follow me for the rest of my life after I chose <laughs> it in 2012 as a username. Um, you can also find me at my website, gabeis.gay. That's a real URL that will not take you to any sort of pornography. It's just my comedy stuff. Um, and if you're in New York, um, I've got a monthly show at a bar called Come On Everybody called The Lavender Scare, the fourth Tuesday of every month. It's a fun comedy show that incorporates a lot of queer history and some great live stand-up. So. And Ian, where can everyone find you and your channel? Uh, YouTube.com slash Passion of the Nerd. More philosophy, more emotion, more me going off on tangents, if you're into that kind of thing. Nick, where can everyone find you and your channel? Uh, YouTube. Uh, the channel name is Nick Says Boo. You can find me on Instagram and on Twitter slash X at Nick Says Boo. Also on YouTube, I am a co-host on The Horror Hour, so you can find me there as well. Nick has started cheating on me. It's rude, but yes, you should check out The Horror <laughs> Hour because they are great. Listen, it's 2023. Like I'm just an open lover, you know? <laughs> Poly podcasting. We love it. Yeah. That's I did right. say we should share Chris Evans, so I guess we can share that too. Um, <laughs> well, and, we can't anymore. Right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and uh, if you are in New York as well, I should mention this. Uh, this episode will be coming out at the beginning of October. Our next live show is going to be October 29th. It is a uh, Halloween live show at Stonewall once uh, again. Yes. That hopefully by the time this is out, Ryan Houlihan and I have planned it all out because we have not yet, but this is the beginning of September. We're good. And you should come hang out. It'll be a lot of fun. It's always pretty drunk. Last year, I missed it because I got fucking COVID the day before. Gabe, were you at that live show that I missed? You were, right? I My flight got delayed coming back oh, from right. Puerto Rico, and I had to miss it as well. It right, was a very right. unfortunate, yeah. No, I loved it. <laughs> the last one I went to was, I think, Ryan Houlihan, Princess Weeks, you, and I'm forgetting who else, but it was a really lovely time. It was beautiful. Oh, it, was the year, it was the one before that, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, you should come hang out. Uh, you can see me get drunk on stage. Um, but yeah, thank you all for doing this. And we will see you next time. Bye.